Hey, what is up, guys? It's John Nelson, and you are listening to the Starting Block Podcast. This, guys, is a show for complete athletic development. We're going to cut through all the misinformation and confusion about sport performance, rehab, nutrition, and everything in between, and give you guys an inside look in the trenches about how to really develop complete athleticism. As always, I'm here with my co-host, Chris Scarborough. What's up, guys? What's up? What's up? What's up? And my wife, Mandy, is joining us today as well, our other hello. co-host. So, hello. I know how you are, seeing that you're on the opposite side of the room here. Um, I know. Well, I have to sit over here. You're so loud. You know, you'll <laughs> yes. echo behind me. Yeah. And, uh, guys, we got a really special show planned for you today. But before we get into that, we got some housekeeping stuff that we need to do, as usual. So, if you're new to our show... Welcome. We appreciate you joining us, and uh, we do know we have quite a few new listeners. Um, the show is growing, and guys, that's a testament to y'all sharing it, and we greatly appreciate that. So for you new listeners, this is how our show operates. We're a little different than the standard podcast. You're going to find multiple episodes within our show. So the first type of episode you'll hear from us is a standard Q&A. This is where Chris and I will answer the questions that you guys submit to us. Chris, where can they get you? Fast and Agile 49 on Instagram. Okay, and where you reach me at Farmer John ELP on Instagram. And these are questions, guys, that have anything to do with sport performance, rehab, nutrition, etc. We'll tackle those. That episode comes out every other week. The second type of episode is going to be a guest interview, and that's where we bring in our colleagues from across the country. And uh, we got a couple coming from across the pond later this year, and they're going to share their stories of success, how they win, what they do with their patients, their clients. That's what today is going to be, and we'll bring our guest on here in just a second. And then the final episode is going to be that Friday fire or Saturday sermon. It just kind of depends when I get to it. And that's really, as I like to call it, guided wisdom. Other people like to call it me, you know, lashing out. But I think guided wisdom, and that's 10, 20 minutes of me just giving you a little motivational, you know, input, a little bit of business side of sports, and uh, kind of trying to get you fired up. I've also got a really cool announcement before we bring our guest on, and we're pleased to welcome our first sponsor to the show, Exercise Unlimited. Now, Exercise Unlimited is the largest distributor of new and pre-owned fitness equipment in Memphis and the Mid-South. Guys are locally owned and operated for over 23 years. They've got a 5,000-square-foot showroom of all the major brands. They've also got a 25,000-square-foot warehouse of high-quality pre-owned fitness equipment. With over 40 years combined in the fitness industry, they are the experts. So, guys, visit them at exerciseunlimited.com, or if you live in Memphis, stop by at 387 South Front Street. Tell them John sent you, or use the promo code ELP2023 for additional discounts. Guys, check out Exercise Unlimited. And Exercise Unlimited, we appreciate you being a part of the show. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. And now, without further ado, we'd like to introduce our guest. Our guest today is Dr. Robert Lucky of Pittsburgh Performance Care up in New York. What's up, Doc? Thanks for joining the show. Hey, great to be here. Great to be here. Love, really appreciate the invite, fellas. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, we have only spoken once or twice over the years. Um, Chris, I think you said you've talked to doc, Dr. Rob a little bit, too. We you? traded texts about 10 years ago or more. Mm-hmm. Uh, might have been, I mean, you had just gotten to uh, Rochester there with Dan Fichter. Yeah. Our, yep. uh, yeah. And then, uh, I mean, you had just started there. So however long ago that was. Yeah, I, yeah it was probably yeah. 12 years ago. It was, so I've been with yeah. Dan. I mean, I've been connected with Dan and working with Dan 14 years. So it was probably 12 or 13 years ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Cool. Yeah. And I think I found out about you through, uh, through Dr. J. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And, and then I think, and then through Dan, and that's how we connected. And been following your stuff for, you know, a long time. And, you know, I know you and Dr. J have very similar you know, approaches. And, you know, as you know, I'm trained under Dr. J and implement a lot of his work and, Mm -hmm. you know, but um, tell the listeners a little bit about, you know, your education and Pittsburgh performance care, and then we'll kind of dig into some of your work and stuff like that. Absolutely. So I, I had a, I had a very traditional chiropractic practice for, uh, for about five years, Um, graduated in 05. 
And honestly, I just, uh, you know, it just wasn't very inspiring. I felt like the toolbox was, felt like the toolbox was pretty shallow. Um, I felt like we were treating people longer than we needed to, and we weren't getting to resolution. It was more therapy. And it, it just wasn't something I was super excited about doing for 30 more years, you know? <laughs> so um, <laughs> I sold my practice and um, I, at the time, my, uh, my uncle was the assistant coach for the Boston Bruins. So I called him up and uh, asked him if I could, you know, cash in one of those nephew favors and uh, spend some time. I, I wasn't looking for a job. I was just looking to say, you know, can I, where do the, where do the best athletes go? At the same time, I had a, I had a very good friend who was a patient who introduced me to Dan Fichter at the same time. Um, so when I was starting to get exposed to, you know, what are these athletes, where are they going? What are they doing? I was starting to talk to Dan and I was starting to hear some really different perspective. Um, so the brain was just starting to percolate. Um, and you know, as Dan was kind of chirping in my ear about, you know, the, the, the functional neurology, which I had some interest in, I was seeing something, um, develop in the sports arena. I was seeing two factions of patients. I was seeing the faction, uh, sorry, two factions of these athletes. Some of the athletes would get injured and they would get treated, you know, as you and I would anticipate where the trainer would say, Hey, look, we need you by Friday. So, you know, rest, ice, rehab it, you know, in very traditional formats. And, uh, and if you're not ready, you know, there's somebody younger, faster, stronger, that's going to take your place. And, uh, yeah. and that was sad to see, but then every once in a while, the franchise player would take an injury and more often than not, they would get on a plane and they would fly away. They were not getting treated in the States. They were going to Italy, Amsterdam, Germany, Switzerland. And I'm like, gosh, why, <laughs> where's, where are they going? You know, and then, you know, of course, long story short, you guys know this story very well because you're part of it. Um, you know, Dan introduced me to Dr. J, which had the tie to the Fiorentina Italian national team. We were starting to look into their perspective and how they, how they integrated clinical neurology and physical medicine. And that blend really sparked something for me. That was intriguing. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is it gave me an opportunity to objectify the treatment that we do, as opposed to, you know, sometimes you do something for a patient, they give you a big hug. Sometimes you do the same thing for the same clinical case that you think, and you make them worse, right? Um, and neurology seemed to, you know, put so many um, objectifiers in that process for me. So I know it's a long answer to your question, but that was my intro to the functional neurology world. And then, you know, reestablished a very different practice 14 years ago called Pittsburgh Performance Care, which is really the, what I translated from, from Dr. J's introduction and Dan's introduction, which is this hybrid model of, of clinical care where you're managing, you know, physical injuries with, from a neural perspective. So when you got into this and, you know, Dr. J kind of sparked the interest, you eventually ended up going down to the Carrick Institute, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. So, so then, then it was, then it was a, uh, you know, it was like, where can I get this information? I was, you know, I was a sponge for it. So, um, I had been introduced to Carrick, um, when I was getting my doctorate and, uh, I was interested in neurology. I just, I hadn't jumped into it too much, but after the introduction with, with Dr. J, then it was, you know, I was full go. So, um, I've been studying that part time for the last twelve years. I've uh, mm -hmm. I probably have four times more education in neurology than I do in physical medicine at this point. So, yeah. so give us an example of let, let's say let, let's take a comparable injury to what you might have seen. Say, you know, before you started the whole neuropath. Give us yeah. an idea of a comparable injury that you'd see now versus say twenty years ago or or fifteen years ago. And how you treat them differently and the outcomes. I think yeah, a lot sorry. of our a lot of our audience would yeah, certainly be sure. interested in that and the outcomes. You know. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I mean, it just we could take something that that you would anticipate would come see me before, which was just uh, you know a disc injury, back pain, um, which is incredibly common in that. Incredibly common. Incredibly common, and even more common in the younger ages that we didn't see before. You know, with the professionalism of pediatric sports. <laughs> right. So, um, so before, you know, those injuries could—I mean, they could linger for months and months and months and months and months with honestly no resolution. It was like therapy just to try to take pressure off the nerve root, to try to decompress the decompress the discs, to try to give them some relief so they could sleep at night, um, and. 
I, I didn't really feel like we had a great tool. Sometimes manipulation would give them some improvement. Sometimes manipulation would make them worse. Um, there were a lot of adjunct therapies that doctors were getting into because disc injuries were so common, like decompression, which I, which I felt like was, again, not a, not, didn't have super great utility. Um, so I really felt like that was an injury that commonly would come see me, but I felt like I didn't have great answers for. Now, when I see a disc injury, um, we'll go through a process of trying to understand how is force getting delivered to that disc? What is, what is, where is the, where's the failure point? So we'll try to reverse engineer it through our neurologic process. You know, so we'll do, we'll do standing postural exams, testing for shunt stability and kind of their ability to maintain their position. Um, we'll do a really strong vestibular exam. We'll examine um, laying down uh, strength reflexes, which I know you guys are very familiar with to determine integration and where there may be some, maybe some leaks of speed of contraction. Um, and as soon as we start to develop, okay, this seems to be where um, there's, there's really poor integration in the brain. And now we can, now we can plan, a, plan an attack. We can, we can go after a very specific deficiency, a very targeted exercise for the brain, and then layer on a physical rehabilitation specific to the muscles that are not protecting that disc. And now what used to be poor outcomes even six months later, I mean, I'm disappointed if we're not 40% better on the first visit. You know, oh. these, these cases are now yeah. four or five, four or five visits. They're quick. They're real quick. Yeah. And I mean, to, I think to the person listening who, you know, their experience is traditional, you know, mm -hmm. Western medicine, that's, it's mind blowing. Mind blowing. You know, like how yeah. could something where nobody has an answer mm -hmm. except for possibly surgery, could we get somebody better 40% in one appointment? And yeah. I think that just that shows the the power of the nervous system. Absolutely. Now, like I want to dig into that as well, but I I, know, I want to dig into concussions too because I know that you do a lot of yeah. work with that. But before I get into that, a question that I really wanted to ask you, and and I haven't asked Doctor J because seeing that he's you know he was kind of the one that brought a lot of this to the you know to the forefront. I know when I went up there, and I'm not a doctor, I'm not a chiropractor, I didn't have you know the mm -hmm. level of education you did, but being a trainer for all the years, going up there. I thought that I had a pretty good understanding mm -hmm. of how to approach the body and quite frankly, how to bridge that gap a good mm -hmm. bit. Cause there'd be a lot of people that mm -hmm. come from rehabilitation or Cairo yeah. than yeah. to come to mm -hmm. the gym for. But when I experienced the work with Dr. J, it clearly changed mm -hmm. everything for mm -hmm. me. So I'm just curious though, as a chiropractor who you had a rooted belief in the system, mm -hmm. what was that transition like for you? Because I, ha I feel like I have had, difficulty you know communicating and discussing that with other chiropractors throughout the years mm -hmm. because you'll hear a lot where people say oh yeah this chiropractor does you know muscle testing and then they do an adjustment i try to explain how that works and it's like it, it's not yeah, quite the same yeah, it's hard what was your experience with that and how and how yeah. difficult was that for you to kind of transition yeah, you're, you're asking a couple great questions in there i think one thing that's hard is the muscle testing has got a bad rap um, and I think that's because it just, it was, it was, it, the research was not thrown around in the right arenas and, and it just, um, it just landed flat. It stayed in some, some really niched practices of, of chiropractic for a long time. And so I really tried to change the language around muscle testing because it just, I, I was irritated that people had a bad impression of it. So I, I try mm -hmm. to just use integration. So 85% of the brain is dedicated to movement, 85%. So wow. if we're doing a test retest model, which is ultimately what, which is what helps us be so individualized with our treatment, that's what makes you, John, so gifted at what you do in the gym and Chris with your clients and your patients. So if, if that test retest model really dictates where we go in the algorithm, like what do we do next? then we have to put it on some reliable testing system. And honestly, muscle testing truly, or testing the speed of integration in a, in a group of muscles is incredibly valuable, incredibly valuable. So um, that to me, I, I, spend a, I spend a good amount of time if a patient is curious about it to really answer that question because I think it's an incredibly 
powerful tool to be able to shift or change your treatment plan on the day. Most practices will evaluate a patient on day one or even an orthopedic model. They'll evaluate an ankle sprain on day one and say, here's the plan for the next six weeks. They'll evaluate an injury on day one and say, here's the plan for the next four weeks. Go do yeah. all these things and let's reevaluate. Yeah. Well, yeah, what happens right. if they're a really different case two days from then and you're doing the same thing that you figured out on day one? So I think the beauty of that neuro model is the ability to modulate your, your treatment real time at the moment. So that was one thing I was incredibly attracted to because one of the frustrations <clears> that already <throat> led to this was the lack of objectivity with chiropractic. So adjusting is amazing. It's a phenomenal way to stimulate cerebellum. I mean, it's an, it's an incredible tool. The frustration was in school, it wasn't really taught to us in a way that was objective. It was a biomechanical model, which had a lot of research behind it, but I don't know that it was that that what they were saying it was doing was, you know, that it was really hitting the nail on the head. What what I came to appreciate after meeting Dr. J was the supremacy of the motor cortex in the brain. And so if spinal position is malaligned and most chiropractors will adjust, we always we always joke, you know, you want to hit the high side of the rainbow, right? So if the spine is, you know, if the spine has a curve to it, we're literally going to push it opposite the curve, right? So wherever you find biomechanical dysfunction, you put a, a thrust or a force to change that. Well, the reality is, and Dr. J said this to me, and all of a sudden it was like, aha moment. I mean, your spinal position is under the control of the muscle, which is under the control of the brain. So the reality is, mm -hmm. if I move the spine, but the brain wants it somewhere, it's just going to move it back. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah. I just love the analysis and yeah, that, that, that change of perspective that the, that the brain is the supreme index of, of movement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I feel like actually patients are starting to understand that. Like, I feel like I hear that more and more of, you know, yes, th sometimes there's, there's something, you know, uh, you know, a subluxation that's got to be taken care of, but, but what people I think are starting to understand is they've gone through the process of adjustment and, you know, strengthening and, they understand like, okay, it's not a strength based element, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. not, not all the time. Like if that were the case, then, you know, just strengthening would fix everything. We wouldn't have an issue again, you, you I, know, but I, just, I feel like people are becoming more aware of it. Like there's more to it than that. And you're right. 100%. The brain, you know, the, the brain is what controls the muscle. hundred percent. I mean, how many of your, of the, of the athletes that are in your gym, if they ever sustain an injury and they go to rehab, they're told that it's a strength issue. Uh, it's not a strength every issue. Day. They're in the one percent of one percent of one percent every day. Twelve times right. out of ten, every day. Not, <laughs> it's not a strength. I hate that. I get the same thing. I'm like, they're you know these patients are told it's a strength issue. I'm like, strength issue. That girl's like the best hockey player in the nation. It's not a strength yeah. issue. It's not a strength yeah. issue. It's well, an, how how know. how often would you say strength actually is a component? Yeah, to... I mean, I I do think it is a component sometimes, but it's I mean, the majority of the patients that come see me clinically are eleven to seventeen, so. Those kids, they're, they're, they're usually playing a pretty high-level sport. They're playing a ton. Um, if they're coming to see me, it's not usually a strength issue. Not usually. Um, now, granted, you know, probably 20% of my practice, patients are coming in that are, you know, desk jockeys in their 40s and their 50s and their 60s. And, you know, they're really, they're really, they don't really do a lot. And so oftentimes that is a pure strength issue. Sometimes you actually just get them on a bench press and teach them how to, you know, to actually do an isometric contraction and hold a posture and all of a sudden their shoulder pain goes away, you know? So, um, yes, I do think their strength is an issue sometimes, but I think oftentimes in the patients that we take care of, it's not. So kind of, you were talking about yeah. sometimes that like going back to that postural reference that you gave just a minute that could take somebody's yeah. pain away. Do you kind of use the, uh, the, the minimalist perspective when it comes to treatment? So let's say that, all this person needs is that postural position and their pain is gone. Is that like, that's like all you do or do you still try to, <laughs> yeah, that's a great, that's a great, that's a great comment. You know, I, I do feel very strongly about this. I feel very strongly that 
our job as clinicians is to figure out the most important thing that we can do for that patient at that moment. And so I think patients can benefit a variety of different ways, but the real value lands in doing the most important thing at that time. And so much of my examination and evaluation is to really determine, do I need to influence a part of the brain? Do I need to create a level of stability around a joint? Do I need to make them feel less fearful about a position? Do I need to stabilize a vestibular canal? Do I need to, do I need to align a, a visual skew? Do I need to get them centered over their feet? Do I, what is it that I need to do today, right now, that gives them dramatic improvement? And then tomorrow's another day. So I, I don't go and try to hit the five things that all need to be improved. I really try to figure out the thing on that day. Yeah. Very good. What, what is your, what's your hierarchy there? <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's all, it's all butt up against their metabolic capacity. So a little bit of this is starting to roll into the fact that I'm doing a lot more concussion work than maybe, mm -hmm. you know, athlete management, but, um, the brain runs on oxygen, glucose, and activity, and we don't have endless supplies of it. And especially when an athlete is under high demand, they're compensating for injuries, multiple ones probably, and there may be, and there may be some underlying metabolic issues because a lot of these contact athletes are dealing with con post-concussive stuff. So then they really have this invisible fuel tank that is running at maybe a quarter of a tank. Um, real quick, just real quick science-y for a second. A neuron is very efficient. It can grab a little molecule of glucose, a little molecule of oxygen, and turn it into 32 units of ATP. It's insanely, insanely efficient. In the presence of inflammation, that same neuron will create one sixteenth of the ATP. So two, two ATP, wow. two. So in, in many cases, I'm trying to determine how can I support brain and then, and then layer on some rehab, but I need to do it in a way that I'm not overtaxing the threshold of their capacity. Now, when you have, when you have a great athlete in there and you're working through them, I mean, their capacity is super high. They're uninjured, they're uncompensated, they're strong, they're stable, you train them well. Um, I mean, you can push that system hard. The cases that I'm talking about, they're, um, it's a little bit different. So I think maybe that's why I'm, I'm so focused on doing less, but like the thing. I'm not mm -hmm. sure I totally answered your, your hierarchy piece there, John, um, but we, we do spend high effort in make sure, making sure we don't, we don't cross over that, that metabolic threshold. So that's really important. And then I want the patient to feel safe and secure neurologically. So I want, I want to know that their autonomics are not under duress. Um, so oftentimes the best route for that is to, is to make them feel, um, to make them feel, uh, equal in their vestibular system. So I find I use that quite a bit. Um, that's, that's high on my hierarchy list. Uh, I, I, with every patient I'm evaluating visual skew, um, cause I want to know if there's compensatory changes in the eye muscles that gives me an indicator, uh, uh, about some of the things that are involved. Um, I'm always looking for that. Um, I want to know their, I want to know their standing shunt stability. Like how stable are they standing? They should be, you know, if you have an athlete standing in front of you with a fixation point and you ask them to just to be stable on their feet, you know, and hold their arm out to abduction, you know, can they hold it there? And does it have a 10 out of 10 crispness or is it a four? You know, they should be pretty stable on their feet. What you'll, I think what, what you'll find is after we have this conversation, if you start looking at these things, you know, these kids will walk in and it's, it's a four or five, six, it's terrible. And then when they close their eyes, we're taking a faculty away. It should get worse, right? And it gets better because, you know, because they're, they're, they're out of sync. They're out of calibration. They're playing these contact sports at a pretty high level, you know, with a lot of demand. Mm -hmm. Well, no, I, you, you did answer the question, it, it, especially bringing in like the metabolic threshold. Mm -hmm. 
you know, side of stuff and, and delivering what they need without, you know, quote unquote, over, yeah. you know, over exerting them, you know, um, that is critical, especially in concussion work. Right. Huge. I mean, yeah, critical. It's, 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 yeah. And so, yeah, I'd like, I'd like to hear you dive yeah. in on that. I mean, cause I, I, the concussion side of stuff kind of holds a little special place for me because that was one of the first, one of the first kids I ever had way back when, you know, I guess what maybe that was probably 11, 12 years ago. And Chris, mm-hmm. you know, and we brought him down to you. I won't use his name, you know, but you know who he is. He came down right. to you, um, you know, as well. But the guy started having freak athlete, one of the freak, mm-hmm. most freakish athletes I've, I've ever seen, but I was having multiple, multiple, you know, issues just mm-hmm. out of nowhere, yeah. non-contact stuff. Yeah. I mean, just, but, you know, so we started peeling back the layers and come to find out he had sustained a pretty significant concussion, probably, a year and a half ago ish. And so that's when it kind of clicked for me, like, okay, you know, we start to see, you know, I've started to see a trend that, you know, when you have someone with a concussion, you know, history that all this other stuff just seems to kind of unfortunately fall into place. And so speak on that a little bit, like how that, how that works. So you made a brilliant statement right there. Like non-contact injury is a high, high indicator that there's some neurologic stuff going on, right? So, you know, if somebody gets hit by a bus and they, you know, damage their hip, okay, it was a big yeah. bus. Yeah. I don't care how imbalanced right. you are, how right. good things exactly. are firing, if a bus hits right. you, yeah. But if somebody <laughs> changes direction and nobody touched them and they didn't slip on anything and they just went to change direction to blow their ACL out or they sprain their ankle, like with no perturbation, yeah. There's, that happened yeah. to a guy actually in the the combine I think yesterday wow. or two days ago. He blew his ACL. I don't I don't know if he got hit or what, but I saw he yeah, blew his sure. ACL. I do an yeah, agility. So day. I mean, if we pulled him off the side and did a bedside neuro exam, I think it would be pretty clear, you know, why that happened. So, mm-hmm. um, so anyways, to your point, that's a that's kind of one of those. That's just one of those indicators. So, I'll give you a little story, kind of why I got into it. I so I was doing this imbalance stuff. I was doing this functional neurology. I was trying to figure out. You know how to integrate it all into practice and and you know you know at the same time run a business you know you know grow something so yeah i was trying to do this for probably five years right from 2000 whatever 2011 2000 to 2016 and and um you know we were getting there we were we were growing we were we were putting out some good outputs for you know for ankle sprains and back pain and shoulder you know joint type stuff um, and I felt like our, you know, our, our outcomes were really strong and we were growing referral wise, but I felt like there was a small sect of patients, probably 15%, 20% where we weren't getting those same outcomes. And I didn't know why, you know, we would get the kid that would come in. It's a 16 year old good lacrosse player and he had shoulder pain and usually it's three, four visits and all of a sudden it's 12 visits. And I'm like, we're not there. And there's like this strange fatigue and I'm like, I don't get it. What am I missing? Why is this? And so, you know, I had enough of those patients where I'm like, you know what? We just started digging in on history and the common thing was concussions. And I'm like, okay, all right. You know, this. Okay. Well, I brought you on for a reason because I secretly have the same, you know, problem. And so that, that's why I yeah. really brought you on because I really just want to. Yeah. So here, we're, uh, yeah. we're going to, yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to get you there. So. So ultimately, then as I was doing all my Carrick work, I mean, there's no better place to learn about treating these things. There's no better place to learn about the pathophysiology of how they develop. I mean, these guys are just like tip of the spear. They're amazing. Just amazing. You said down Carrick Carrick Institute? Institute. Yeah. Yeah. They did Sidney Crosby stuff. So I actually was down there. I was actually down at Dr. Carrick's clinic when Crosby was brought down cloak of the night, like, you know, you know, anyways, um, that was a, that was an amazing kind of inspiring thing for me to see, um, his recovery, but, um, but yeah, they, what they do down there is phenomenal. And so that, that's where the majority of my clinical training around concussions has come from. Um, Dr. Matt Antonucci, um, he's kind of the, he's, he's kind of the next gen of, of Ted Carrick material. He actually married Ted, Ted's daughter. Um, so and uh, he is literally the Doogie Hauser of clinical neurology, and he teaches it all over the world. His passion is is concussion care. Um, so, I think when I was down there, it was first round draft picks and top UFC guys, and it was like a just it was incredible for the time that I was there. So, ultimately, 
as I was studying Carrick's material, trying to study for my boards, um, I just kind of pigeonholed all of my study towards how can I impact concussions? And so we started talking about the conversation a little bit just on metabolic capacity. I think that is the first thing that's not even appreciated at the medical neurology site. I mean, these patients that come see me with these concussions, they've already been to neurology, already gotten a CT scan to make sure there's no brain bleed, make sure there's no pathology, no, no head fracture, et cetera. And there's no discussion about brain inflammation. There's no discussion about energy management. They just told to reduce screen activity and turn the lights off and get evaluated right. you know, by their pediatrician in seven days. Um, they're really yeah. told right. exactly. very, very, very little. And the reality is um, we, can do, we can do a very targeted exam in 30, 40 minutes that gives us a tremendous amount of information about how to put, patch these things back to a very healthy place. Um, and it's from a functional perspective. Right. So medical neurology is looking at pathology. They're looking at hard things that are broken strokes, malignancies, neurodegenerative change, things that you can see on a CT scan. If it's not on a CT scan, it does not exist to the mm -hmm. medical neurologist. And the reality is these patients, they are now invisible injuries. They have inflammation that has become <clears throat> perpetuated through the brain. They have neurologic pathways that have been functionally deprived. They have sensory systems that have been um, uh, kind of shot out of calibration. They have, um, and they have changes in really strong changes in autonomics and cascades down the brainstem that affect their overall sense of well-being. And now they're in a very strong position of fight or flight that is not hard to to see you know as trainers and coaches and docs like we look in their eyes and we know they're not right um, yeah. and we feel stuck because we feel like sometimes we're not the professional that that should be helping them navigate this process but the reality is they are getting really substandard care in the medical so for these i don't feel like there's anybody out no. there doing so it. then I mean, I see it all so the now time. the objective so clearly you're saying if it's not on CT, not on MRI, whatever, you know, it's not there. Okay, I, I get that. So what clearly. is then the what is the measurement criteria? Mm -hmm. Is it these yeah. Yeah. Uh, is it a metabolic test? Is it some sort of a that this uh yeah. you know? So um I wish there was like one test that I could say like this is the thing. So so the um the, here's a good one. Here's a really good one is literally just a pupillary reflex. Shine a light in the pupil. You want to see good. You want to see good, healthy constriction, and it should hold constriction in the presence of light for 12 to 15 seconds. Do it on both eyes. You take one of your post-concussive cases and you do light in the eye. Here's what they'll do. First of all, they'll have a midriatic pupil, so it'll be enlarged because their autonomics are out of whack, and then it won't fully constrict. It'll partially constrict, and after three seconds, it'll blow out because it has no capacity. And it's a very easy conversation for the parents because they can see it. And on top of that, the patient's going to be somewhat light sensitive, so they're not going to feel good with the test, <laughs> you know, and they're just very quickly, you're going to be able to say, wait, that's not right. It's intact, meaning they don't have brain, you know, there's nothing broken, but the reality is their brain right now is in an energy crisis and we need to address it as a top priority. Otherwise, things will progressively get worse. Here's the thing that I think is really important. And I've come to appreciate this over time. Injuries to the body, like if you take a, if you sustain a bruise, right? Within 10 days, the bruise is gone, right. right? So physical injuries get better over time. Neurologic injuries get worse over time. So a concussion that's not treated or rehabilitated correctly, three years from now, they're in a worse place. People think time just heals, like time is, oh, it'll go away, it'll get better. If I just exercise through it, if I just train through it, if I just am mentally tough, if I just do these things, we'll get through it. Well, the reality is if the concussion is bad enough, it really perpetuates further progression of the problem. Wow. So um, I'll let you keep firing questions. It'll kind of direct where I go, but I'm happy to 
Well, I, I actually have a question. I focus more on yeah. the okay. nutrition yeah. in the yeah. metabolic side of things. So I'd be curious to hear, like, when you talk about <clears throat> testing metabolic mm -hmm. thresholds, um, are there, I mean, yep. when I work with people and, you know, their, their goal is to gain weight, mm -hmm. lose weight. This, you know, this is, yep. this is hurting. This isn't right. And they want specifics and I have to dial them back mm -hmm. to, okay, are you sleeping? Are you hydrated? Yeah. And what are you eating? And they mm -hmm. don't want to start mm -hmm. there. They want to jump to the, like the magic pill. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously I try mm -hmm. to talk to them about yeah. needs. What are the needs of the yeah. brain that you see Super good. most often are, well, I are love, lacking? I love where your focus is. Um, I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're really helping people with that. Um, so yeah, so as I said before, right? It's very simple needs are it needs it needs high levels of oxygen. There's very low tolerance for, you know, low oxygen levels. Like during COVID, I think people started appreciating what O2 levels are, right? Um, and we were like the only ones testing it. So um, I like 99 or 100, right? And medical doctors don't get worried until they see like 92 or 91 or 90, right? We right. want super high oxygen levels we want glucose stabilization, right? So if somebody has diabetes, that's a that's a kicker. You take a diabetic patient, you give them the same concussion okay. that somebody else that doesn't have diabetes has, their, their outcome is way worse because they don't manage their glucose well. So glucose stabilization from a nutritional standpoint is so important. Um, and then we want to, we don't want inflammation in the brain. So, um, we post concussion patients, ultimately some, something that can happen, doesn't always happen is there can become a breach. There can be a breach in the blood brain barrier. So now the brain is exposed to whatever the body's exposed to. So like during right. COVID, COVID was uh, was a killer for breaching the blood brain barrier and it got to the brain and it, and it created mm -hmm. brain fog and mental fatigue for so many adults. It didn't really yep. do it to kids, but it did it to adults. Um, so that just gives you like an example of what I'm talking about. So post concussion, if that blood brain barrier gets breached, you got to be really careful about not having foods that create inflammation because you know, if somebody's allergic to dairy, now they have a, a, a milkshake they produce a ton of inflammation, it's going to go to brain, they're going to get worse pretty quickly. So just a, those are just a couple. Hmm. Those are a couple. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I never really thought about that as far as, uh, yeah, your, your food inflammation is being able to it reach the brain. It shouldn't. Mm -hmm. but post can, it shouldn't. Right. But, yeah, but I post mean, certain post 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 happen. it's going to get to the brain. Yeah. Yeah. So with your, you know, this is something you and I connected on a couple of months ago, but never, we never really went anywhere with it was your work. Oh post yeah, COVID. that's right. That's right. You know, like, yeah, we, yeah. um, yeah, I just saw a rash of adults coming in to see me and they just kept at the side of the table, you know, they come in for headaches or whatever, or neck pain. And they'd be like, Hey, do you do anything for brain fog? Like it's bad. <laughs> and there was like probably 10 months where that was rampant. Um, so, um, we were seeing them on the concussion side of the practice. The one major thing for those patients is more on the supplementation side than it actually is on the treatment side. Those patients just benefit tremendously from something called glutathione, which I'm sure you'd probably all mm -hmm. shake your heads at. Glutathione is a natural antioxidant. Yeah. The liver makes it. It just We just need it in a, in a high supply when our brain becomes inflamed. How do you like to, uh, yeah. how do you like to administer so that? I, like I usually... I've seen yeah. research on lots yeah, of so, different kinds. So what, what do you, you know, find to be the most I, Once I found absorbable. one that works, I haven't really experimented. So there may be, you know, I know people that do okay. IV glutathione. <laughs> they do glutathione drips. They do a ton of different things, which right. probably work great. It's a very simple compound. Um, so I think it's probably, probably in all these different models of how it's administered, it probably works fine. But I use a company called Apex just because I trust the guy who's on the advisory board. So I know it's good. Um, Apex uh, um, Energetics is the name of the company, and I usually recommend that somebody takes three in the morning, three in the afternoon. They're each, I think they're each 250. So yeah, it's like 1,500 milligrams for like 20 days. Okay. But honestly, by day five, six, seven, they're feeling like a different person. Yeah. So if I'm a parent, and I've got, and I'm okay, I'm, I'm concerned about what you've just told me. Meaning I've got a kid who's. I, wait a minute. 
He just all yeah. of a sudden, unexplainably, inexplicably, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're okay. They, yeah. <laughs> we are down in the south here. <laughs> we struggle with our words. <laughs> all right, I've had, I've had a shoulder injury. Well, now I had a back injury. Oh, wait a minute. Now my elbow hurts. And, okay, wait a minute. I've yeah. just heard this Here's, interview. Now, yeah. I know the eye thing. Mm -hmm. What are some things I can look at? I mean, it's like, okay, maybe I can determine whether or not my kid might have had a, a, a concussion. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, how can we how can we do some self some self stuff? Um, let me let me say one thing before I try to answer that question. One thing I tell the parents is because I want them to appreciate that the that the neurology needs to be looked at, right? I want them to like move that up on their value scale. So what I tell them is, you're sitting in front of me and you're telling me that your child's had an injury for 18 months and it's not getting better. You've already told me that it's been x-rayed, MRI'd, you've seen orthopedic, you've done bouts of physical therapy and it's still there. So I said, the only reason it's there is one of two reasons in my brain. One, there's something structural that everybody's missed, which is unlikely, right? Right. You've seen all these professionals looked at all these images. I don't think anything was missed. So the only other reason that that can stay chronic because the body is hardwired not to go chronic. It's hardwired to be to have an acute response to injury. So if it goes chronic, the only reason is because there is a neurologic premise and we got to figure it out. So then I then I start doing some bedside neuro exam. You know, I do the pupillary eye test. Another great one is Fukuda. This is if you want a parent to just listen to everything yeah. you say, do this. Put put headphones, yes. Put yes, headphones I love on their ears, right? Put their arms out front, have them stand like in a Romberg's position, close their eyes, and ask them to march high knees 40 times, 4-0, and have them stay, say, I want you to stay in the exact same place. After 40 steps, because they have no idea where they are, they're literally going to walk in circles. And the parents can be like, what the hell are they doing? And you're going to be like, well, they have sensory mismatches. They don't, their, their, their whole system is out of calibration. We need to figure out where that's coming from. It's just that it heightens the parents' awareness that you really appreciate what you're talking about. Um, but from a self-assessment, if I'm a parent, how do I determine? Um, it's a really good question. I, I think, I think just letting the parent know that their intuition is not wrong, right? Parents already know. Parents are like, something's wrong. Like they're not right. They, they're fatigued. They're irritable. They're not the same personality. They're, they're exhausted when they get up in the morning. They got to take a nap when they come home from school. They're just, they're, you know, their favorite music isn't as exciting. Their favorite whatever is not the same. They don't have their mojo on the field. Like all the things that make us who we are get muted. And so I just help the parent be like, what you're seeing is real. And by the way, it can be fixed. And we just need to, we need to do a detailed exam to pull out and tease out all the specific things that I can leverage to get your son or daughter back in a really good, healthy place. And one of the things you talk about yeah. the Pakutas test, which is awesome. Um, I feel like over the last two or three months, I've seen a correlation between, you know, um, issues in that test and a uh, contributing vestibular for issue. sure. So this was something that Dr. J yeah, and I were going to so, talk about. Um, so, yeah, yeah. And so I'd be curious to hear your thoughts, especially in that posterior lateral sling, like with pitchers. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've, I've I've seen this hit That's, hard. I mean, well, there's a lot to talk about there with that one, um, but for sure. So somebody does a Fukuda test and say they turn 45 degrees to the right. Here's the hard part. Here's what I've come to realize is I have had colleagues tell me they rotate towards side of cerebellar weakness. They rotate towards side of vestibular dominance, vestibular weakness, cerebellar weakness, um, parietal misinterpretation. So the hard part is Fukuda mm -hmm. just tells us there's a problem. It doesn't tell us what the problem is yet. So then it's mm -hmm. just a stepping stone to say, okay, when you, when you close your eyes and you lose your visual faculty, you can't interpret your 
positional sense or your body awareness or your head position or your spine position or your feet position with using only your vestibular system and your proprioceptive system. So one of those two are not working well. And then I go do a specific proprioceptive exam and a specific vestibular exam to try to see what's working great, what's overworking, and what's deficient. And then we start to piece it together and say, oh, okay, now I have a good idea. I don't think it's parietal. I think it's vestibular. I think it's anterior canal on the left that we really need to support. Let's do that for, you know, five, seven minutes and reevaluate. Yeah, I just, I thought that was interesting. And I mean, I, I admittedly have a lot of, you know, work to do in, under, in understanding and being able to apply the vestibular, you know, vestibular work. And Chris, I know you're, you're well, you're more well versed in that than I am for sure. Um, but I just thought that was an interesting correlation. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, we it's, I mean, and it's, and I you know, I, I really think, um, spending time and getting better at that. And I need to, too. I mean, the, the vestibular, the stuff we're learning about the vestibular system is so fascinating, so fascinating. And it's deep right? and it's wide. So it's, it's a, it's a big deal. But the reality is when you, when you can really tailor rehab protocols and treatment and exercise protocols around that system, man, you can, uh, you can really help. People. Well, and, and I think you made the comment, you said five to seven minutes and you can reevaluate. I mean, how many think, think about just most medical treatments for anything, you know, for anything, any injury, you know, brain injury. Well, I mean, and, oh, and you yeah. can actually, yeah. it's actually worthy of reevaluating after five to seven minutes of something. Mm -hmm. That's pretty impressive. I mean, that I love, I love your comment there. And here's, here's what I tell parents because they oftentimes will ask, like, you didn't do anything. I'm like, well, we, we did, and we're going to show you how we did it, and we're going to show you why it's important. But I want to tell you something. The brain is amazing. Yeah. I got to control my emotions yeah, when I right. hear that. Yeah, like, you didn't do anything. It's, yeah, it's yeah, amazing because, right? So <laughs> think about this. You know, if you, go in, if you go in hammer squats in the gym, the protein replication to build off that training takes six days. That's the time it takes to be maximum strength response from the training you did in the gym, six days. Now, if I want to learn something or if I smell a rose for the first time and somebody tells me that's a rose, I can learn that in five seconds and never forget it for my entire life because protein replication in the brain takes nanoseconds, literally nanoseconds. So you can change brain state like that, like that, like that. So in my office, it's all about changing the brain environment. So the metabolic state, like all the things Mandy and now we're just talking about. And once we feel like that is now stable, then we can individualize the protocols and the plan and the very specific exercises that rebuild their vestibular, parietal, cerebellar, sense of, sense of self, visual fixation, and then we get them vertical and put them in the gym and let let the boys go to work. Yeah, mine too. Well, my, my, head, <laughs> my head's spinning. Oh, you, you learned me something new there. Um, okay, so now I, I we could talk. I want to talk brain stuff, COVID stuff. I want to keep digging into that, but I know we're getting close on time. So I really got an important question to ask get? you. Now I know that you're a big woodworking guy. Right. Yeah. So the inevitable question, the most important part of this podcast is Ryobi, DeWalt or Milwaukee tools. What yeah. Do you so, prefer? so I am. So I, if you're going to go with those three, I'll say Milwaukee <laughs> because I was building a deck this last year and my buddy who's a contractor was helping me and my sawzot would cut through one two by ten and his would cut through like six of them so before we had to charge the battery so i am a i have been converted to a milwaukee portable tool guy but um but i am right. a diehard fest tool guy if you're uh if you'll have to look that up you'll have nope. to look that up i was i'm not even yeah, to look that, up. that one fest tool is the cream of the crop when it comes to portable woodworking equipment you can literally cut plywood yeah. on your kitchen table and you'll have no dust. Hmm. It's amazing. It's amazing. Uh -huh. 
Yeah. Hey, I learned all kinds of stuff don't, today. Man. Don't tell him that because he <laughs> will be cutting plywood. <laughs> we're we're, we're going to up our rates here. I'm gonna, <laughs> i got to get some new tools. Uh, nah, for, for real, Doc, your stuff is incredible. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, I mean, we don't, do you do that? Is that it's just a, solo, a hobby or do you actually have No, it's a solo side? hobby. I mean, I've, I've had yeah. some patients. I built an, our conference table here in the office. And, uh, you know, every once in a while, wow. patients will come be like, wow, where'd you get that? And I was like, I built it. And they're like, can you build me something? And I, so I built some that I've charged for, but um, I don't do it for for that yeah. um i uh, i really enjoy it ultimately i i, I do it so i yeah. can buy more tools is really what it yeah pretty much i'm kind of right there with you i enjoy it too i'm not to your level but yeah I, that's pretty much well, what john I'm built doing. me a chicken hey, coop. there we go Very beautiful chicken coop and now he's building me a no, chicken like a, a second chicken it's like coop a five star like it's like it's like a chicken palace he's a that's all i gotta i gotta go on your instagram or facebook and check it out <laughs> yeah I, I posted there i, I posted there um <laughs> yeah well hey doc this has been awesome i'm i'm so grateful to have you come on yeah. the show and man yeah, that was thank you so much awesome yeah. information i, I appreciate um, you guys having me where can everybody yeah i appreciate you saying you? that i'm i'm actually yeah. um i'm actually trying to like unearth myself and come <laughs> out in social media a little bit i've just never done it before um, I think we started this practice 14 yeah. years ago and we were like, at some point we'll do it. And we just never did. So this year, as of the beginning of this year, um, I started the Instagram page. So it's Pittsburgh performance care, um, on Instagram. Um, yeah. there's a, there's a okay. Facebook with the same, with the same handle. Um, I, so I guess I don't, I guess you can direct message me through that. There's, uh, um, there are contact things that will come directly to my email through the website as well. So if you do, if somebody goes on the website, the Pittsburgh Performance Care website, and they want to direct direct uh, connect with me, the contact us does come right to my to my office email. So that's probably the easiest way to do it. Cool. cool. Absolutely. Thank well, you Doug, so much. Well, Doug, I appreciate it uh, so much. Um, yeah, I really look forward to doing this again, and you know, uh, keep digging in some good stuff. So. Thanks so much for coming on. Guys, as we wrap this up, remember there is a fee for the show. Share the show. Mm -hmm. Remember, guys, if you want us to continue to bring guys like Dr. Rob out here for you all to listen to and to learn from, we need you to share the show and help support this movement. Help us grow it. Leave us a review, please. It takes three minutes out of your day to do, and I think it's the least that you can do for us, you know, for this type of value that, like, Dr. Rob is providing you guys. Please leave us a review. Subscribe. We appreciate you guys. Love you guys. Have a great rest of the day. Thanks a lot, guys.